1: Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. No! Oh my god, how could he do that? Are you on Donate. To- what? Charles Darwin.
0: Welcome back, everybody, into Nerdsesh. We apologize about the late start today, but there was a bit of a miscommunication as far as scheduling. But we've got a full show for you guys today. So, as we are in the full swing of the NBA season, and obviously the NFL season is now over, we're going to be doing primarily basketball, obviously, for a while. We will do some draft stuff. We'll do some combine stuff. But Logan, let's start with this because obviously the NBA trade deadline just happened. So. On our podcast that we already published on Wednesday, we talked about some of the trades that happened before the deadline, mainly the Robert covington Capella four-team trade, but today we get to share our thoughts on a bunch of the other big trades that happened, some of which were pretty unexpected, and the first one is the trade that took place between the Warriors and the Timberwolves that saw D'Angelo Russell, Jacob Evans, and Omari Spellman go to Minnesota in exchange for Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 top three protected pick and a 2022 second round pick. Logan, let's look at this first from the perspective of the Warriors. How do you think they came out, out of this one?
1: I think this is a pretty balanced trade on both sides. I didn't love it from either side. Um, so I think it's good for both squads. I think the Warriors didn't obviously didn't enjoy the fit, and I trust Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. If Steve Kerr doesn't think that Russell fits the system, then go ahead, make a move. They also come away with the uh, protected first-round pick and Wiggins, and... My biggest concern really is, from the Warriors' perspective, can you get Andrew Wiggins to play defense at that three spot?
0: Yeah, well, obviously, Andrew Wiggins has been, at, at to say the least, an enigmatic NBA player thus far, and a lot of people would just say flat out a bad one or one that is certainly not worth his $30 million, contract, $30 million a year contract, I think there are a few changes he has to make to fit into this Warrior system. So we've already seen some improvement from him this year. This is probably the best year of his career, or at least the best year since that year before Jimmy Butler when he played pretty well. Only 13% of his shots have come from mid-range this year versus 26.5% last year, which is good because it's a terrible shot. He's hit it at 34% both years. He's a different playmaker. His assist are at a career high, and I think his playmaking is pretty clearly improved. But he has to fundamentally change as a player because in Minnesota, he has been a pick-and-roll ball handler, an ISO player, a high-volume scorer. He has to be willing to spend significant time off ball now. He has to improve as a spot-up three-point shooter because he's just a 33% Mm three-point shooter. That's not good enough for him to be even in that Harrison Barnes role if he's going to do that. He has to be an effective spot-up shooter. Needs to get rid of those ISO possessions, those bad shots, that ton of vision, all those things that have plagued him in Minnesota. And then, as you said, he has to stay engaged constantly on defense. And all these adjustments are why I think this is about as significant of an offseason as far as player development you can have because he has to fundamentally change who he is as a player and these things that people have seen. Oh, he has the skill set. He has the long arms. He has the playmaking. Can he put it all together for winning basketball?
1: I'm going to ask you this, Carson. As an informed Warriors fan, what's the ideal scenario in the draft for the Warriors?
0: I still would like to acquire a versatile wing by the name of Denny Avidya.
1: Do you put Avidia at the four? Or do you start him? Is he off the bench?
0: I think you bring him off the bench. I think you bring him off the bench as a three. And in a small ball lineup, you can play him at the four and have Draymond at the five. I just think... There's a lot of people that are sort of assuming Wiseman is going to be the pick for the Warriors because their most glaring need is at mm-hmm. center as far as the starting lineup. But I think that the NBA has shown that with low cost centers mm-hmm. that just roll the rim and play defense like Kevon Looney, you can win. And Wiseman's a project.
1: And I also think in this, mo- we've seen in the past few years mm-hmm. with a situation such as Trey Young and Luka Doncic, or uh, who the Kings take? The, the Kings took Bagley. Bagley? Yeah. You take best player available, yeah. you don't take based on position wise. It just yeah. it's not going to end up working out for you.
0: And especially with the Warriors window which is when now, you want a guy like Avidio who's pro ready, mm-hmm. who's versatile both offensively and defensively, can guard multiple positions, is effective with or without the ball. Speaking of draft picks, another nice asset the Warriors picked up is that 2021 first round pick. It's top 3 protected, so that doesn't really matter because the Warriors, I mean the Timberwolves aren't going to be a bottom 3 team in the league, but you get presumably a lottery pick in a very strong draft. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a nice pickup for them. Let's talk about this from the Timberwolves' perspective. What does it mean for their organization and for Carl anthony Towns to now have D'Angelo Russell?
1: Well, I think it's very similar to what they did with uh, Jimmy Butler, in my opinion. You have to bring in somebody else to entice Carl anthony Towns to stay. And Russell was the best asset to convince Carl anthony Towns to maybe not force his hand at a trade. Mm-hmm. Looking at this on-the-court-wise, though, I don't love it. Mm. I don't. I think that offensively, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun basketball to watch. You've got, I think this is going to be the best pick-and-roll duo in the NBA. But that being said, it doesn't help them whatsoever defensively. Carl Anthony Towns is a horrendous defender. And in my opinion, you have to have a defensive center to win games. I mean, I genuinely think Carl Anthony Towns is the most offensively skilled
0: center I have ever seen in my life. I agree. I think that I like this trade for the Timberwolves. It at least buys them some time. It gets them a legitimate asset when that wiggins towns duo was pretty clearly never going to work. And I do think you're absolutely right. This pick-and-roll duo is going to be explosive. You're talking about both of these guys are legitimate levels, are legitimate threats from all three levels. D'Lo loves the mid range. He's got a beautiful floater game. Towns is the best shooting big man we've ever seen, as you mentioned. But it doesn't make them a playoff team in the West. And they still need to get other quality players around them. And, of course, losing Robert Covington, who would be clearly their third best player, I guess they're going for a different window. Looking ahead to this year's draft, because I think they should still be around a top five, six, seven pick, there's a few ways they can go. And a lot of people are being hard on this draft. I do think there's still quality guys at the top. And the one guy that really caught my eye that should be there in somewhere from the five to seven range is Obi Toppin. I think if you're talking about a shooting front court with Obi Toppin and Carl Anthony Towns, Toppin is a guy that can play off of that pick and roll and can be a guy that can spot up in the corner. He can create for himself. He's a beautiful, fluid shooter. He can play the 3 or the 4. He'll be a 4, though, realistically, in the NBA. I think that he would be awesome for them, and it would be fun for fans at the least.
1: Now that we're on draft talk, Carson, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. If the Warriors do land the first pick, can you pass up on a player the caliber of Anthony Edwards? Because in my ideal scenario for the warriors mm-hmm. you trade out of that one spot you mm-hmm. get the five you get another pick to go alongside it much like the boston celtics did with philly mm-hmm. and i think you take a video later and you get another ass another asset
0: it's an interesting conversation and i think it depends on their own player valuation cuz now i just saw vidia at number 2 overall in a bleacher report mock the other day now they did have the warriors taking edwards at number 1 but Edwards is a really, I think he projects as an NBA star. He does have two-way ability. He can, he's a threat as a catch-and-shoot guy and a 3-and-D guy, but he does need the ball. He's a shot mm-hmm. creator first and foremost. And when you have Steph and you have Clay and you have Draymond who needs the ball in his hands and Wiggins, I don't know if a shot creator is what you're looking for first and foremost versus a pro-ready guy. Let's move on to another big trade that involved a Warriors legend. Andre Godala was shipped to uh miami from memphis along with jay crowder and solomon hill for justice winslow deon waiters who has now been waived and james johnson who has now been moved to minnesota let's talk about this from the heat perspective first because we reacted to this live on our podcast because mm-hmm. it was happening and i know that initially we were intrigued by the fact that they got iggy then we found out about the extension it was a little bit eh, and it's a lot of money for an old guy then we learned that the the heat had to give up justice winslow but now you learned that the Heat got rid of some bad contracts and got another asset back in Jay Crowder. So with all that information now, what are your thoughts on this deal for the Heat?
1: I think it's a decent trade. If they had landed Gallinari, I would tell you that the Heat would probably be my favorite out of the East. I agree. I mean, they run such a solid modern system. You have Bam Adebayo, a defensive rim-running center, which you need nowadays. You have a bunch of floor spacers in Duncan Robinson, Myers Leonard, uh, Kelly Olenek. I mean, you have guys that can um, that can handle the rock. Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler. It's, really, it's a really fun team to watch, and I don't like the trade now just because you give up a piece like Justice Winslow. I think he would be a little too valuable for mm-hmm. me to go and get... And a very, very old Andre Iguodala. But if they're in win-now mode, this is probably the best move for them. I still don't see them coming out of the East.
0: I think that you are right in a lot of ways here because the Heat did not need more depth. And they did not need more defense. And they did not need more people that can handle the balls but aren't dynamic shot creators for themselves. What they needed was a Danilo Gallinari. A guy... Especially, especially at the four position, I would have loved that. But a guy that is a legitimate second scorer that can score 20 points per game for you, because when Kendrick Nunn is your second leading scorer, it's tough to win the conference. I do like that they got off of the Deion Waiters contract, which would be $12.5 million next year. They got out of the James Johnson, who had a player option for $16 million. But I just think Justice Winslow is a better basketball player than Andre mm-hmm. Godala. Not to mention he's 13 years younger. He just doesn't have the same dynamicism athletically. He, there are concerns about the shooting, I can tell you as a Warriors fan, there are stretches where Andre Iguodala cannot hit a shot, and then the acquisition of Jay Crowder, it's nice for defense, but he's shooting 29% from three this year, which makes him basically unplayable.
1: Looking at this generally, doesn't it astound you, Carson, the way, at the trade deadline, these three and D players just shoot up in value? Oh
0: my god, everyone wants them.
1: I know this is at least the second time Jay Crowder has been dealt at the trade deadline, is, is it only two now?
0: Well, let's see. He's gone He's gone. Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Memphis. I think it's... I don't remember how many were at the trade deadline, but he's bounced around. Yeah. People hear the name Jay Crowder, and then they realize in practice he's not always that great because he's actually not a great shooter of the basketball. Yeah. He's very good for defense, though. I just think Iggy, this Heat team is so deep, he's like their 7th or 8th man. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't give you that dynamic shot creation, which is why I'm a little concerned. Let's talk about this for the Grizzlies.
1: Oh, this is an awesome trade for Memphis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Memphis is going to be a... I've heard the the grit and grind 2.0, and I guess that's an accurate statement defensively. But I love the way this team is going to be in transition. John yeah. Morant, and Justice Winslow running mm-hmm. the floor. You know, have a second ball handler that can ease, um, you know, ease the pressure a little bit off of John Morant and as well. Ja can maybe explore opportunities off ball, which he hasn't been able to do with the limited, uh, you know, teammates.
0: Yeah, I mean, big ball handlers right now are the rage in the NBA. Not to say Justice Winslow is a Luka Doncic or a LeBron James or a Giannis, but those are the guys that are running the league right now, and Winslow is, as you mentioned, he's a guy that can push in transition for a Memphis team that is already playing at the third fastest pace in the league. When you're talking about having a lethal shooter like Dylan Brooks off-ball, a guy like Brandon Clark that can run to the rim, a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. who can space the floor or rim run, I just think it's going to be incredible, and then John Morant, who's one of the best transition point guards in basketball already, and Iggy was giving them nothing. And I also think that... Justice Winslow has a bit of a rep maybe, is not a great shooter, but he has shot 38% from three in the last two seasons, including on four attempts a game last year, so that's a legitimate sample size, and I think with his defensive versatility, a front court of him, Clark, and Triple J, that is really good. You're going forward with a young core of four good guys and one great one. The question is the health.
1: Now, one detriment I think of this trade, maybe not this trade exactly, but Mm -hmm. John Morant's ascent in his rookie season, Mm -hmm. the Grizzlies aren't going to have another top pick this year. Yes. How do they get into—they're going to—I think they're going to make the playoffs this season. That would be my Mm -hmm. take. They just look like such a solid roster. They've been on a bit of a streak.
0: What do they do to get into the conference championship and actual title picture moving forward? It's a great question because I don't think Jaron Jackson Jr. He's a guy that if he gets hot shooting, he can score 20 a game for you, but he's got to be really hot shooting, and he still doesn't have quite—he doesn't have the in-between game. He doesn't have the post game yet, so he's nice as a rim runner. He's great in the pick-and-roll with jaw, and he's a great three-point shooter. But I think all these guys have their limitations to where you're not quite comfortable with them as a number 2 option. And even Ja is never going to be a 25-point-per-game mm-hmm. scorer. I mean, he's incredible at what he does as an elite playmaker, an unbelievable athlete, and a guy that can score based off that athleticism. But he's never going to score 25 games, so it's a great question.
1: You know, I think a good player comp for John Morant is Damian Lillard. You know, maybe not as much of a dominant scorer. Except, I
0: mean, the shooting is kind of a yeah, big difference.
1: That's what I'm saying. The, the, the shooting, I think, is there. Yeah. Um, I just, I think you need to take a look at the Portland blueprint. I think you can uh, draw comparisons in very similar ways. Memphis and Portland, very similar market sizes. Mm-hmm. I just don't see. Again, I'm, it's, it's a much, uh, it's a very similar situation to Dallas with yeah. Luka Doncic. They rise to being a very prominent. Got team too good this too year, fast. And now what?
0: And let me just say, if John Morant's career turns out like Damian Lillard's, as far as team success, you're probably not thrilled with that. No. I mean, one Western Conference Finals appearance for Portland, and now they might be getting booted from the playoffs by this John Moran-led Grizzlies team. A couple more deals went down. Uh, Let's talk about Marcus Morris going to the Clippers in a three-team deal that also sent Jerome Robinson to the Wizards. For the Knicks, I actually like how the Knicks came out of this one. They got the Clippers' first-round pick, they got the right to swap first-round picks with the Clippers in 2021, they won't use that because the Clippers will be better, and then they got a 2021 second via Detroit for a guy in Marcus Morris that really had no value to them, and now the Clippers also got Isaiah Thomas, who they waived, so they now have two roster spots. The Lakers were in talks for Marcus Morris, but apparently the Knicks were demanding both Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green, so thank God they didn't do that. For the Clippers, adding a guy that's scoring 20 a game this year, does this... Move them up even higher in the conversation for title favorite.
1: I mean, I think it'll help their bench. Um, I mean, he can—he's a good spot up shooter, and mm-hmm. I think he's a bit of a ball stopper at times. I do like absolutely. I do like the trade for the Knicks, like you said. But from the Clippers' perspective, I didn't really understand it. They, they gave up Mo Harkless as well, didn't they? They did. And I heard some Clippers fans running around and basically shaming. Oh, we just gave up Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless is a good three and D guy. Yeah, I know he doesn't have a whole lot of value for uh, Los Angeles. I just don't understand why they need. Why they would need Marcus Morris.
0: I prefer Harkless defensively. There is a significant difference offensively because mm-hmm. Harkless is a he's a very spotty shooter. Like there are games where he's knocking him down, but then also we saw in playoff series, is, you know, people would just leave him and Aminu and say, All right, beat us, beat us you two, and they couldn't a lot of the time. But yeah, Morris is having a career shooting year from three, 44 percent. But I agree, it's a bit of a weird fit. I wonder if part of it was them trying to keep him from going to the Lakers or another title threat, because he is a ball stopper. And he's coming off the bench, so how does he play off that Lutrez pick-and-roll when he needs the ball himself a lot? I just think there were fit issues. C- can you
1: explain the the drop-off, why his value plummeted after, I mean, the Knicks were asking for Kuzma and Danny Green?
0: I don't know. I don't understand why they ever thought they would get that price. I would rather I would rather have Danny Green, and I might rather have Kuzma. Mm-hmm. I probably would, because he can continue to develop, and they're pretty similar players as is. Doesn't make sense to me. It's Knicks mania. That's That's really all I can say. Let's look at the Clippers' two open roster spots here. What kind of guy do you think they're going to target going forward? Maybe maybe a Tristan Thompson is a guy that... I know that they've said he's not going to be bought out from Cleveland. That just doesn't make sense to me.
1: I mean, it's an interesting question, and I think Thompson could be a an asset. But how much do you pay Tristan? Do you give him the league minimum? I mean,
0: I mean, he'll get bought out. Hopefully the majority of his contract gets bought out, so you don't need to give him that much. I just think one of the criticisms of the, of the Clippers is that you know, when Trez is your five in those crunch time lineups at 6-7, that can be a little problematic when you're going up against a Jokic or an Anthony Davis. I don't think it's a huge problem, but I think it's something they could hope to address. For the Wizards, they get Jerome Robinson. Do you think this is really significant for them in any way? I mean, Jerome could turn out to be something. He was special at or Boston College. Mm-hmm.
1: I enjoyed him in college. I don't think that's that big an asset for them. I, think, I mean, obviously, like you said, the picks are important, and overall— the more picks that you have, the more opportunities you have to hit. Yeah. So I like this trade from New York. A guy like Marcus Morris it doesn't do you any good having him on the roster, just an aging sharpshooter on what, a, a losing team?
0: Yeah, and he's also a redundancy because, <laughs> I mean, Bobby Portis and Marcus Morris are so similar. They're ball stoppers. They're guys that primarily shoot from deep and mid-range. They can't see the floor. They don't create for others at all. And even Julius Randle, there's some overlapping skill set in that he's a four that likes to handle the ball and needs the ball. So I think it's good that they got rid of him. For the Wizards, you know, Robinson hasn't played much because the Clippers are that good. He does have some defensive ability, has shown some flashes of playmaking, but needs to improve as a shooter. Let's move on to the last sort of big deal of the trade deadline. Andre Drummond shipped off to Cleveland for Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a 2023 second round pick, which will be the worst between the Warriors and the Cavs second round pick that year. For the Cavs, why did they do this? I I guess because
1: they don't think that they're going to get anybody in free agency, that would be my guess. Um, y- you now have your, best, your three best players, in my opinion, maybe outside of Garland or Sexton, are Kevin Love. Uh, I wouldn't say Tristan Thompson's up there, but three prominent players with big salaries. Yeah. Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, and now Tristan Thompson. I think it's an interesting... I think it's a good trade for both sides, honestly. Really? Now, the reason I say this is the Pistons get off of his contract, it frees up some money, and... Are they going into tank mode, Carson?
0: I think they absolutely are, because I think that we're seeing Blake Griffin is never going to be the same.
1: We we discussed this, um, I believe, earlier this year on what the Pistons mm-hmm. should do, and you told me that they should be content making the playoffs, and yeah. I guess they aren't. They're 19-36 this season, I guess they're going ahead and they're they're giving into the tape.
0: I think that their playoff hopes went out the window when Blake Griffin went down for most of the season and then came back and was so clearly not the same and is now out again.
1: Don't get me wrong. I think they could have gotten more assets, but Mm -hmm. if you free up some money, you can maybe get a free agent or two here. I guess is what they're praying for, but you've got to hit in the draft if you're Detroit.
0: Here's what I like for the Pistons, that they do have clear direction now, and I do think they have some legitimate good young pieces. Sekou Domboya has looked great when he's been out there, and he was a pick that I was actually pretty skeptical of because I thought he's so raw But he's developed really well already. He was lighting up the G League. Luke Kennard, who has been one of my Mm -hmm. favorite guys since before the season as a shot creator, a pick-and-roll ball handler, just a good, versatile offensive player. Christian Wood has had an awesome season. He's super athletic as a rim runner. He can shoot. He's just 24. And even Bruce Brown, who was their second-round pick two years ago, now that he can shoot, he's always had defensive ability. He's always had playmaking ability. So for the Pistons, I'm happy that they got off of Drummond. They got nothing for him. And I guess the value is that they got rid of him.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think that the value of Drummond around the league is low just because there's not a place for a center like him in the league anymore?
0: Yeah, and he's just not that good. Like, he's his numbers are flashy because he grabs 16 boards a game, but he's not even a dynamic athlete offensively or defensively. I mean, he's a great, rebound, he's a great rebounder, and that's about it. I don't know how conducive he is to winning because he kind of is a black hole down there too. For Cleveland, is their plan to have Drummond opt in like cuz that's what's confusing he has a player option this year and if they if he does opt in and if they pay him big money they're going to dedicate 55-60 million a year for the next 5 years to him and Kevin Love yeah i mean i think you can look at this two
1: ways for Cleveland you either think like i said you're not going to get any free agents or they get a pair they pair up Kevin Love with Andre Drummond to keep Kevin Love from throwing a tantrum out on the court right um you have Garland and Sexton i mean you have young pieces Cleveland is looking at around the fourth or fifth pick now, Carson. Who do they go after when you have a front court like Drummond and Love, which I think's pretty redundant in uh, today's modern NBA?
0: I'll tell you who they should not get another scoring guard because in the past two years they've taken three in Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Kevin Porter Jr., who have so many overlapping skill sets. If I were them, I would want a foundational piece like okay, I'll say it again, a Denny Avitia, or I mean, Anthony Edwards could be interesting because. At least he has the defensive ability. They have to move Sexton or Garland. They have to. They're just so poorly constructed, I don't even know what to say. No,
1: Carson, I want them to take Nico Mannion or Cole Anthony
0: just so we can laugh. If they take Cole Anthony, that would be the funniest thing ever. Because he's genuinely Darius Garland. Like, that would be... That's such a similar player comp from last year. It's, It's unbelievable. And to see what... Colin Sexton has devolved into defensively. Mm -hmm. He was a phenomenal defensive player at Alabama. He was all-heart, he was all-energy, and now he doesn't play any defense.
1: Actually, even better, if the Cavs take James Wiseman, that would be hilarious.
0: Well, that would (laughs) be—that front—you don't have a front four like that in basketball very often. The four power forward center lineup. Let's talk about some winners from the deadline. Who Who do you think came out of this feeling good and looking good for the future?
1: So my two biggest winners, in my opinion, are the Warriors and the Hawks. And again, mm. you give up an asset like D'Angelo Russell. It's never good, but the picks are going to come in handy for I guess this rebuild that you're going into, where you want to compete. So you have to get a player that's that can help you win. Now, I think the Hawks are definitely my biggest winner, though. They didn't give yeah. up a whole lot, and you get a young guy who's averaging you know fourteen and near fourteen and four yeah. to team up with Trey Young. I love what the Hawks did.
0: Yeah, I actually like the Hawks move too. You know, Capella, he's only twenty six. He's twenty five. He's twenty-five and his deal is only like seventeen million a year, so it's really not that bad. And I've said for a while the Hawks need a defensive center because they just won't be good enough defensively if they have Trey Young as your point guard and John Collins as your center. I'm interested in seeing if they hold on to John Collins going forward. My winner would be another young team. My biggest winner would be the Grizzlies. Really? I really like Justice Winslow. I think when he's out there he's really good and they gave up nothing of value. I mean, Andre Iguodala had zero value to them. So mm-hmm. I would rather have that than even, you know, a late first round pick in this draft. I like what the T-Wolves did, getting Malik Beasley, getting a first, mm-hmm. getting D'Angelo Russell. I think the Clippers, you could argue, are a winner because they didn't really lose anything that is valuable to them right now. Uh, I
1: just wanted to swing it back to the Grizzlies for mm-hmm. a second. does Winslow do back?
0: No idea. And he, it might be that he doesn't play again this year. And then that is where you make the argument for the Heat. He wouldn't be available this year, and his health has been a huge question mark because he missed... You know, three quarters of a season. A couple years ago, he's missed at least fifteen seasons and at least fifteen games in the last two seasons too.
1: And I mean, maybe the Heat know something that we don't. I Do well, remember throwing very it possible. back to the Isaiah Thomas trade a yeah. while a couple years ago? Mm-hmm. I, I hope it's not that scenario because I want the Grizzlies to be this young, running and gunning team. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe the Heat are, are pulling a fast one.
0: It's very possible. One more winner. This one I'm actually not sure about. The Denver Nuggets. I think that there's a case to be made for either side because they didn't go out and get a Drew Holiday, who it sounds like wasn't available, but he's the guy that really could have put them over the top. But with what they had, unloading Malik Beasley, who was going to leave and they weren't going to be able to pay him, they get Jordan McRae for Shabazz Napier straight up. Jordan McRae is a legitimate guy that can create for himself, can playmake. He's good with the ball in his hands. They get Keita bates the up, who I had a first-round grade on a couple years ago in the draft, and I th- I still think he's intriguing. He's versatile defensively. He can shoot. And they get a first-round asset for a guy that was just going to leave. So they didn't get the star, but I like what they got.
1: No, I definitely enjoyed the Jordan McRae deal. You crack me up. <laughs> you crack me up, Carson. I liked it. I thought it was a steal. Just just the Nuggets plug at any any given time.
0: Also, I'm very anti-Shabazz Napier. I think he's terrible.
1: You remember that one time in uh, December when we were talking about the Nuggets' struggles? Uh-huh.
0: It's
1: just a, a weird time there.
0: Yeah, well, it was because Nicole Jokic decided he didn't want to play basketball for about a month and a half. On the flip side of this, who do you feel like missed out?
1: I mean, I think it's the obvious one. I think it's the Lakers. Yes. They didn't add anybody. You still have Kuzma on the roster who really is not doing a whole lot for you. And again, the major concern for the Lakers all season has been, can the bench hold up during the playoffs? You need to add someone younger, someone better. And Rondo, Howard, they've all been overachieving here so far. I just feel like they they handcuff themselves to Contavious Caldwell Pope. And when you handcuff yourself to an asset like that and can't deal Kuzma, you're just not going to get any better.
0: And they handcuffed themselves by trading away every young asset and pick that they had to get exactly. Anthony Davis, which I would do again. But you have to understand that that means unless Darren Collison, you know, decides he wants to join your team, unless someone becomes available via buyout, it's really hard to add pieces. Well,
1: I mean, we knew at the time that this yeah. is how it was. going this to be. This is it. This you is their have team. LeBron and AD, and then whatever you can you can mm-hmm. round up together. Um, I thought I never for a second thought that they were going to nab Derrick Rose. Yeah, and to me. We we saw this one already, LeBron. We saw you and D Rose
0: together. Yeah, it
1: it wasn't the best fit.
0: And there was also discussion of them going out and getting a Dennis Schroeder or Spencer Dinwiddie, <laughs> which I think would have made them overwhelming favorites. But with what assets? Yeah, who is? Uh, it's Kuzma, I guess. And. Kuzma and I don't know what else. Dennis Schroder has been awesome for OKC yes. this season, and Spencer Dinwiddie has been even better. Yeah, you,
1: you know we all, you made a case for him being an All Star. Yeah, this those season.
0: guys are both in the tier right below All Stars. I mean, they are dynamic scores. They're quality playmakers. The, the playmakers, they're like two of the best sixth men as far as running a second unit you can have because they're so dynamic as scores. And of course, they didn't get either of them. I'm just happy they didn't force the issue on Marcus Morris because that would have been bad. Another team that I think, I agree on the Lakers, I think missed out is the the 76ers. Only adding Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson, who can play maybe 10 minutes a game for you. I mean, they can both shoot and theoretically... I mean, GR3 plays a little defense. Alec Burks theoretically can, but not really in practice. It's just an irrelevant move for a team that is slipping further and further into the depths of the Eastern Conference.
1: No, Carson, you told me... I don't remember when this was, but you said that you would still take the... Maybe this was last week, that you would take the 76ers out of the uh, out of the east. I did say that. And you know Carson, I'm going to agree with you under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. If the 76ers can bounce up and take the third or two seed, mm. I'm taking the Sixers out of the East. 23 and 2 at home. Wow. And, and that's true. They've
0: been abysmal on the road. They're
1: 9 and 19 on the season on the road, which to me says, yeah. if you can get lucky and Giannis and the Bucks get knocked out mm-hmm. in the second round, which I don't think it's going to happen. I
0: think the Sixers are the team to beat the Bucks. I think matchup-wise, that's why I have faith in them.
1: Well, I think that... I just don't think they can win on the road.
0: No, I mean, that's actually a very fair case, because you look at the quality of opponents, 2 through 6, these teams are all right in a bunch. Mm-hmm. And the Raptors are pulling away a little bit, but they're all really quality teams. For the Sixers, though, and for the Heat, too, who have been much better at home than on the road, it does probably matter to get that home court advantage and my question with the Sixers is I actually would still like them in a matchup against the Bucks. I know they lost this last game, but Embiid was abysmal and they didn't shoot well at all. My concern is do they lose before then? So that's the big question for the Sixers, and they didn't make me feel any better about that this time around. And I think back to a couple when they made their first run with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. the trade deadline was huge because they added Ursan Iliasova and Marco Bellinelli, who fixed their massive yeah. spacing issues on the season that have been made You know, even worse this year with the addition of Al Horford, and they didn't do anything significant to correct that this year because Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson just aren't great pure shooters.
1: Well, and i just like to bring it back, Carson. When we made predictions at the start of the year, we said the Mm -hmm. Lakers bench was going to be a concern. Yeah. And they've lucked out. Yeah. The concern with the Sixers was, can they space the floor? Can Josh Richardson be your shot maker moving down? And obviously, he can't.
0: He can't. And it doesn't look like Tobias Harris is that guy either, which is a problem in the playoffs, but... Man, Ben Simmons is good. He's having a career year after a pretty ugly start. We're going to take it to break. On the other side, we will be introducing a new segment called Award Tour. We're going to keep talking all things NBA, and we might even talk a little bit of next year's NFL Hall of Fame class. You're listening to Nerd Sesh on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. We're introducing a new segment today called Award Tour, where we're going to be handing out our weekly awards to the people that we thought shone the brightest. The first guy I'm going to give an award to, Logan, the Buzz Lightyear Award goes to Bob Myers. Now, for everyone that will remember, a couple years ago, Joe Lacob made waves by saying that the Warriors, owner Joe Lacob, made waves saying the Warriors were light years ahead of the rest of the NBA. And with this move for Andrew Wiggins, who, of course, has been a bit of an albatross, fully embracing... Him, as a player, they've got to be light years ahead of everyone.
1: Yeah, my first award is the most professional in the workplace, and I'm going to hand it out to Trevor Ariza. Two Mm. technicals against the Utah Jazz, which in turn turned into two free throws that definitely had an impact on the end of the game with that Damian Lillard goaltend call.
0: I'm going to give the next award to Jamal Murray. It's the Jamal Murray Award for the, the bi monthly epic performance. Once every couple months, Jamal Murray goes crazy. He just did it, dropped 36, 5 and 5 on 14 of 17 shooting against the Suns, 6 of 8 from 3. It was his third 35 point game of the year. And they've happened November 17th, January 4th, and February 8th. So it's basically, you know, every other month.
1: Yeah, uh, my next award is the Most Handsome Man award, and we're going to hand that out to Kelly Oubre Jr., who's also been red hot this season. Carson mm. and I attended the Rockets Suns game, and Oubre set a career high in points uh, this past month, I believe, or no, excuse me, this week, 27.5 points per game, 53.3% shooting from the field, and 55% from deep.
0: I'm going to give the I Hate Big Men Award to Daryl Morey for hating big men and trading away the last relevant one on his roster in Capella. Sorry, Isaiah Hartenstein. I'm not going to give you that honor.
1: And the final award we're going to hand out is the Long Distance Relationship Award. We're going to give that to Devin Booker for watching two of his best buds team up in Minnesota, in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, in that blockbuster trade.
0: I know that that has a a few Sun fans a little bit scared. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think Devin Booker's going anywhere, but I can understand the fear. I suppose... We referenced this with the I Hate Big Men Award, and we talked about the trade a little bit earlier, but the new-look Rockets, Logan, we had a chance to see them against the Suns. I've watched the the entirety of the two games that they've played thus far. I watched them against the Lakers. I watched them against the Suns. What are your takeaways from this team early on?
1: I mean, you have to have—you can't miss shots.
0: Yeah. That's the big thing. With <laughs> a roster true.
1: like this, you can't miss shots because you're going to get beat on the boards yeah. as well. I mean, Harden had 32 points against the Suns. In three quarters. And, yeah, and he didn't play at all. I remember Eric Gordon was missing shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel House, I believe, was one of seven from the field.
0: P.J. Tucker, his corner three, which is normally money, couldn't hit one.
1: It was it was embarrassing, and Harden took the tip. He's taken the tip in Hilarious. both games. It, it, to me... I don't understand where this roster is going. Now, I do think the game against the Suns is a bit of an outlier because Mm -hmm. you don't have Russell Westbrook in. And from the shot-making perspective, he doesn't help. But definitely rebounding, he does. I just think that this team is going to plummet. They don't have a big man.
0: So I think that this was a bad move overall for this team. And I think specifically when you look forward to the playoffs, you want to have multiple looks you can throw at people. Because if you go up against... A Rudy Gobert, or even more so offensive weapons like a Nicole Jokic or an Anthony Davis, they're just going to get crushed. And that's why I think they need to pray that Tristan Thompson becomes available on the buyout market, because they need to at least be able to play him 15 minutes a game in the matchups where it's necessary. I think it's interesting because the two first games that they've played have really been polar opposites. Against the Lakers, they shot 19 of 42 from three. AD killed them inside as mm-hmm. they kept sort of forcing the ball in there for 32 and 13, but it didn't really matter because then the Lakers shot 9 of 31 on threes. They shot 29% from deep. And I think that there was an interesting difference as far as the way that these two teams attacked the matchups because when it came to the Lakers, they were trying to force every mismatch. Even if yeah. it was Kyle Kuzma out of the high post, if he had a guard on him, he was going to shoot that fadeaway, which isn't a great shot just because you have it. Whereas the Suns, DeAndre Ayton, who I often say you know doesn't know that he's 7 feet tall— He wasn't necessarily attacking the basket, but they were getting the ball into the teeth of the defense by feeding him, and then when guys doubled, because you kind of have to, also this Rockets defense does do a good job of going after the ball because they're quick and they've got quick hands. Then Aiden is feeding other guys, and the Suns actually beat this Rockets team by shooting the lights out. So two very different formulas, and the less talented team with the lesser big man was the one that put a whooping on him.
1: DeAndre Aiden didn't even want to go up with the ball whatsoever.
0: He didn't, but (laughs) they still flocked to him, and he was able to find shooters.
1: Well, you're right, but I think... On on my side of the floor, at least, uh, during the first half when the Suns were attacking my basket, mm-hmm. I think Aiden took two post shots. Yeah. I mean, he had P.J. Tucker guarding and he, he him. He was missing. Team, and he missed both of
0: them. He was missing, but I think that it's also, you know, that does speak to a certain point of, if you're not a good post player, and I'm not saying DeAndre Aiden isn't a good post player, but a DeAndre Aiden you know, mid-range jumper is not a good shot just because they have it, the Rockets want you to take those shots. It's analytics-driven basketball. They're saying, we'll give you those looks, don't take the threes, but... The Suns understood how to exploit that philosophy and the fact, okay, they don't have a rim protector. So they have to send two guys down there to try to, you know, equate to what one actual rim protector would be, which means people are going to be open elsewhere. And I think that's a formula that other teams will be able to replicate. And, you know, just because Robert Covington is a good defender doesn't mean he can defend fives.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Carson, looking at this overall, do you Mm -hmm. think a player who plays the style of basketball that James Harden does Can a team ever win a title like that?
0: It's a very unique style of basketball, and I don't know if we'll ever have another guy that plays quite like him ever again. It's a tough question, because this current iteration of the Rockets has no chance. Russell Westbrook has been great. He's been their better player for almost a month now. His Harden has plummeted, and Westbrook has stopped taking bad threes and stopped taking bad pull-ups and just really abused people physically. So it's tough to say, because in a vacuum, I don't know if they put... But they've ha- put a lot of the ideal pieces around them. They have shooters, they have defenders, and now I think we saw that the model wasn't working because they couldn't play two non-shooters together in Capella and mm-hmm. Russ, and I get that. But to just move off of Capella completely, it just scares me because now they don't even have the option.
1: I have to say, though, in person, Carson, James Harden is the most amazing basketball player I've ever watched.
0: He's pretty incredible.
1: I mean, Kelly Oubre is in his mouth on every doesn't, three-point It attempt, doesn't matter. And it's in. It
0: doesn't matter. Let's talk about another team that, uh, I guess they've, they've been on fire, simply put. The Toronto Raptors have won 14 straight and making it even more remarkable, they've done it without Norman Powell and Marcus Gasol over their last few, and now in a season in which Siakam, Lowry, Van Vliet, Ibaka, Gasol, and Powell have all missed 10 plus games, they are one game back from the second best record in the NBA. How remarkable is this?
1: I have to say, Carson, Yeah, it's amazing, mm-hmm. and I am the founding member of the Terrence Davis Fan Club.
0: I love Terrence Davis. I'm the founding member. So can I join? Yes.
1: Awesome. Terrence Davis is He's so amazing. good. He's so good. And you see these off-shooting performances from Abaka or Powell or mm-hmm. Gasol. And Terrence Davis, a 31-point performance against the Bulls. Uh, this team is just so resilient. And that is what I would use. They're so deep. It's like, maybe you won't like this one, Carson. Okay. They're like Nuggets East. Interesting. They, they they don't have nearly as much depth, but players pick they're each pretty, other up. Well, they're pretty deep. Yeah, they, and they overcame a a zero point OG Anobi performance to beat mm-hmm. the Pacers in mm-hmm. that in the you know that close neck and neck incredible battle. comeback. The Raptors astound me, and I want them to come out of the East.
0: So they're thirty three and nine when Pascal Siakam plays, which is an incredible pace. That's like 64-65 wins. They have the number two defense in basketball. They're top thro- they're a top five three point shooting team by both volume and percentage. Their press, when they're fully engaged defensively, we saw that against the Pacers in that comeback, and we saw it earlier when they came back from down 27 against the Mavs. It's just an incredible, it's an incredible weapon they have. And it's not often you refer to defensive things as a weapon, but they're so quick and they're so smart and they're disciplined, but there was also a little bit of wildness in there. They're just great on both sides, and I think it's tough to say that Nick Nurse isn't the best coach in basketball. Let me ask you this, Logan. Why can't they be a legit title threat?
1: I didn't say they couldn't.
0: So you think they are?
1: I think the Raptors are. I mean, with Nick Nurse at the helm, they are, they're second in defensive rating this year. Mm-hmm. They are a tremendous defensive team, and defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see why not. Now, obviously, you'd have to hope that Mark Gasol can keep it together. You've yeah. got to hope that Kyle, Low- Kyle Lowry doesn't disappear. Yeah. A lot of things have to go right, but honestly, storyline-wise, I want nothing more than the Raptors to win the title this year or at least get to the title game potentially play Kawhi, I think that would be an
0: awesome... Uh, that's the best storyline in NBA history. Exactly. That is genuinely the number one storyline in NBA history. Just looking at the personnel, they have two all-star level point guards. Van Vliet isn't an all-star, but man, is he close with everything he does defensively. He's evolved so much as a playmaker, and he's just a shot maker. As a closer, mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable with him. Siakam's a top 15 guy. They have a few great 3 and D wings. OG Terrence Davis, who, as we talked about, one of the fines of the year. Norman Powell, they have legit veteran bigs. Even going down to Ronda Hollis Jefferson and Chris Boucher, those guys can play, everyone plays defense, everyone can shoot, and a bunch of them can create for themselves too. They're just a great all-around team. Let's move on to a pretty controversial story that made a lot of headlines around the league. The Trailblazers, in the midst of their push for the eight seed, they had won 5 of 6 games, they went into Utah, or I don't remember, maybe they were at home, and they were dominating early, they blew their lead, and then... Damian Lillard had a chance to tie the game with about 10 seconds left on a layup. There was a pretty clear goaltending, and they missed the call. Logan, all in all, are the Blazers going to be able to be a threat for the 8th seed? No. You and, don't think so? I
1: think this kills them. If, it's a big loss. In their last seven games, they would, would have been 6-1 and one if, yeah. they, if they had pulled this one out. Damian Lillard has put this team on his back and is trying to will them to the playoffs. It's one of the more dramatic fall-offs I've seen in a team that just reached the conference finals. Now, obviously, at the time, we all said, this is an outlier. No. But, wow, I, they just don't have personnel around them. I know injuries have killed them, but... Killed them. When when the refs miss a blatant call like that, it, it just it hurts your heart, man.
0: And they had won four of their last five against... The Pacers, the Rockets, the Lakers, and the Jazz. You have Damian Lillard on an all-time stretch. And this was unbelievable, Logan. Since January 1st, so in the year 2020, Mm -hmm. in the decade, the 2020s, Damian Lillard is averaging 34.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, and 8.6 assists per game on 49, 45.5, 89 shooting splits. And the Blazers are 10 and 9. Like, this is one of the all-time great one-man shows over this 20-game stretch.
1: Damian Lillard can't do anything more. I mean, he's he dropped 61 on your Warriors, he dropped 47 on yeah. Dallas, 50 on Indiana, 48 on the Lakers. And 51 the playmaking on Utah.
0: he just has the ball in his hands all the time, and CJ is not even he hasn't been great over this stretch because it's just been the Dame show. I think this is one of the most most impressive runs of his career because you're looking at the fact that they haven't had Zach Collins all year they haven't had Rodney Hood since early in the season they of course lost Aminu and Harkless and they don't have Nurkic who you could argue was their second best player last year I think the only case in which the Blazers do make a run and they're now two and a half games out of the eight seed that Memphis has they would have been one and a half games out so that is a big loss Mm -hmm. even with a lot of games left when Nurkic comes back they're a lot better my question though is how does he play with on Whiteside because those are two traditional centers Nurkic is much more versatile, but how can they be on the floor together?
1: I don't think you do. I don't think you have them on the floor together.
0: So you just demote Whiteside? I mean, yeah, that's fine by me. Play Whiteside much. 15 minutes a game.
1: Yeah, I don't. He really,
0: won't be happy though.
1: <laughs> I don't really see the value in Whiteside. Obviously, <laughs> how did you put it, Carson? He, he's in a contract year, so we're getting a classic Whiteside.
0: Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> listen. If you don't watch us on Whiteside, you think he's great. Yeah. <laughs> he, he blocks shots, he grabs rebounds And it's because he stands in a position Where that's all he can do He just parks down low He's hilarious
1: This team has been lacking without Nurkish I, I would just demote Whiteside
0: Yeah, no, that's fine with me Let's talk about another guy that has been on A Lillard-esque role. Now, they're not winning games quite as much, but they're actually the same amount of games out of the playoff. It's Bradley Beal of the Washington Wizards, his last eight games. And this goes back to, you know, I like to attribute it to the All-Star snub for the narrative's sake. It started before the All-Star snub, but his last eight games, 37.6 points, four and a half boards, and 6.3 assists per game on 51-37-87 splits with a plus 1.8 plus minus. The Wizards are playing 500 basketball. To me, yeah. By committee of one yes. This
1: just reinforces the point of why he should have been an all-star yeah. To the committee actually deciding this It doesn't matter The whole point of why Bradley Veal wasn't an all-star Is because the Wizards aren't winning games And until that changes I know Bradley Veal can't do it all on his own It's very similar to the Damian Lillard situation Yeah, But it doesn't, it doesn't make his all-star case any better this is, They're not loose numbers They're not, they, they're not they're meaningless le- They're legit But they're not translating to wins
0: I'm wondering, in the pit of my stomach, I think that I might have a little bit of doubt, because I put Jason Tatum over Bradley Beal. It was a super hard decision, and I basically attributed it to defense and winning, because Beal had had a terrible defensive season, and the Wizards had actually been better with him off the floor in games where he didn't play and during the minutes within the games he did play when he wasn't on the floor. But he's just a top 15 player in basketball. Mm -hmm. I mean, the things he can do offensively as a guy on or off ball, how much he's evolved as a playmaker, he's just such a dynamic shot maker. He gets to the line. And I wish that he was on my all star team. The Wizards, two and a half games back from the playoffs, remarkably, because the Orlando Magic also suck. I hate the East. Yeah. I hate it. 18 and 32, and they're in the playoff conversation. And
1: I am praying for the Grizzlies to make the playoffs at over 500 because we discussed this on the podcast. I don't think it's happened since 1989, where where both
0: conferences had a sub 500 team.
1: that, That would be embarrassing.
0: And the Wizards have the league's worst defense, they have the number 30 defensive rating. But their offense, oh yeah, I love their offense. I think Scott Brooks has done an incredible job, and Washington fans, I imagine, are entertained at the least. So I don't know why they gave up Jordan McRae for Shabazz Napier. I'm on the Jordan McRae bandwagon. I think he's good. Oladipo, Victor Oladipo, made his return to the basketball court six games ago, and the Pacers are one in five in that stretch. Oladipo didn't even play in their last game, but they blew a lead against the Pelicans, so now they've lost five straight to slide back into the six seed at 31 and 22. Also blew that game against the Raptors Lost to the Knicks Oladipo was shooting 28% from the field 21% from three Is this something to be concerned about?
1: Yes Really? Carson, you said it in five words They lost to the Knicks (laughs) Well put You can't I I don't Carson, you I admittedly have not watched a whole lot of Pacers basketball I love the Pacers What have you seen on the floor That has made them start losing games with V.O. back?
0: I'm not that concerned because I think that Oladipo is just flat out not hitting shots. I think that athletically, he looks pretty impressive considering he missed a year of basketball, and I think we know everything he adds defensively and as another ball handler, a shot maker, and a playmaker. Him and Brogdon are going to have to work some things out. They're going to have to, you know, move away from the Brogdon Sabonis, pick and roll a bit, but I just think if Oladipo shoots 45% from the field, they win a couple more of these games and we're not having this conversation, so I think it's a bit of an anomaly, and I still really like the Pacers going forward.
1: I also think the Pacers bench is just so lacking. Now, like, Don't get me wrong. I like Doug McDermott, and I like TJ McConnell. Mm-hmm. I, I like the holidays, but yeah. uh, this last game against the Pels, you had Warren go for 22 and Lamb go for 26, and you still can't pull out a win?
0: I'm going to disagree with you on the criticism of the Pacers bench. I think that they have hugely overachieved this season, and I actually really like their bench. McConnell's having an awesome season. This is the best version of him we've ever seen. Justin Holliday has revived. If you can even say that there was a career to begin with, well, he has one now. They are like they have three guys shooting above 40% from three on their bench. I think that their bench has been good. I just think the fact is Oladipo has not made shots, and so they've lost a few games. I don't think it's a big deal. That Pelicans loss was bad, though. I was watching that, and they, there was no excuse for them to lose that game. They just didn't make shots late. So
1: Oladipo gets back to at least, like, let, let's say, 75%. Yeah. Where do the Pacers end up in the East?
0: They might still end up as the sixth seed, but I think they can beat anyone. And that's what I said, when, hmm. uh, Victor anyone. Even the Bucs. Yes. okay. Because they have so many guys that can beat you. Defensively, they should be a top three defense in the league. That's what they were last year. And with Oladipo back, I think that you're talking about top-notch defensive wings and bigs as far as Miles Turner. And you know, Sabonis has come a long way on defense. I really, really like the Pacers. I think they're a threat. So we've caught you up on all the NBA news, but there's still some NFL news that we can squeeze out of next year's Hall of Fame class. So Logan, Obviously, we did a lot of content on this year's Hall of Fame class. Looking ahead to 2021, there will be five modern players inducted. Who are your five picks?
1: So, number one, clearly far and away, is Peyton Manning.
0: Disagree. Really? I want
1: to hear this case.
0: There is no case.
1: Peyton's uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I loved him when I was a kid. So many classic moments, the uh, AFC Championship game against the Pats with the Broncos, the AFC Championship game against the Pats with the Colts. I know we lost a lot of those battles. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not meaning overarching. (laughs) He won a couple of them. That's true. Uh, He was a 14-time Pro Bowler, 539 career touchdowns. This is a no-brainer. I mean,
0: he's top three in every relevant passing stat. Five-time MVP. I think there's another absolute undisputed lock in Charles Woodson.
1: Yeah, I completely agree.
0: Nine-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro at two different positions, a defensive player of the year, top five in career interceptions, non-offensive touchdowns, passes defended. He's top 30 in combined tackles, top 20 in forced fumbles, 20 sacks in his career. I mean, as a corner and a safety, he just did everything. He could cover anyone. He could rush the passer late in his career. He was unbelievable.
1: I think the biggest aspect uh, of Charles Whitson's greatness is that he was still in his prime from 33 to 35. When
0: He was great. Yeah. Changing positions also.
1: Exactly. Um, and I think you can make a case that he was the best defender on that uh, Green Bay Super Bowl defense. Now, I think you'd
0: have to make a, a case against it.
1: Well, I mean... You have Clay Matthews. Clay who Matthews. Out 13 yeah, and a half sacks that year. You had Nick Collins, who Nick Collins. Now, let's went. be
0: honest. Nick Collins was good. He wasn't Charles Woodson.
1: I'm just saying for that individual season. Okay, but Charles Woodson did have a great year and was he's a no brainer as well.
0: I agree. Let's see if we continue to agree because I think there's a lot of ways you can go here. Mm-hmm. My third guy would be Megatron Calvin Johnson.
1: Uh, I have to agree here. I the most. He's just the best. Yeah. When he was in his prime, there was no one better. Of course, the most receiving yards in a single NFL season. Um, I just wish he had done something tangible team-wise. And it's not on him, but Calvin was just dynamic, a three-time All-Pro. Like I said, 1,964 yards.
0: Yeah, in a single season.
1: That's unconscious. I
0: think that it's either him or Randy Moss as far as the most talented receiver we've ever seen. And I would probably lean towards Megatron, 6-time Pro Bowler, 3 All-Pros, 2-time League Leader in yards, 1-time League Leader in touchdowns, his 86.1 yards per game, our 4th all-time, 1st among retired players by 9 yards per game.
1: You would lean towards Megatron?
0: I mean, he was bigger. He was just as fast.
1: Randy in the red zone is the greatest player ever.
0: Yeah, actually Megatron was a bit of a disappointment as far as casting <laughs> ra- catching touchdown passes. No, not overall, but like he should have been catching 15 touchdowns a year. So, but I mean, what is he, 6'6"? 6'5". 6'5", and he ran a 4'4"? Four, four?
1: Yeah, 240, 6'5", yeah,
0: he's a beast. He's just an absolute freak. So we agree on the top three, Carson. Who's your four? My fourth guy would be Zach Thomas.
1: Zach Thomas. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I-, I left Zach off this year.
0: Of course you did, because that's what they do every year. <laughs> Zach Thomas, seven-time Pro Bowler. Five-time All-Pro, fifth all-time in tackles, 17 career picks, and four pick sixes. I mean, there's a case—I will listen to a case against him because there are some great players that are bound to get left off. I just think—I mean, he played forever, and he was good for a really long time. I think we're going
1: to differ on these last two here, honestly.
0: Well, by definition, we just differed on one of them. Yeah. Wise guy. (laughs) Wise guy.
1: They left you left him off like they do every year. Yeah. Um don't get me wrong, Zach Thomas is going to get in, but I think there are two more deserving guys here. Um my my first one is Alan Fanica. Um I think there was an extreme drop off in offensive production from a Steeler fan point after Mm -hmm. Fanica's departure. Mm -hmm. Carson, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know how we won Super Bowl forty three with the offense that we that we mm. put out there. I mean, one of the greatest defenses of all time, but our offense was extremely lackluster. Fanica, obviously there aren't as many tangible numbers that you can give for an offensive lineman. A nine-time Pro Bowler, a six-time All-Pro, and a one-time Super Bowl champion, I think if you're going to get Hutch in, I think that Fanica has to be next year in.
0: I would have had Fanica over Steve Hutchinson. Fanica is my first guy off, though. Okay. Who's your last guy?
1: My last guy, and I know that we discussed this a little briefly, mm-hmm. Rondé Barber. And... Hear me out, Carson.
0: Disagree. So I know who you're Not going Not in to my go- top 10.
1: Oh my. My 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 mouth
0: just. He opened. wouldn't be in my top 10 of, of the eligible guys. <sighs> that is so
1: disrespectful.
0: Well, maybe he'd be no. my 10th actually.
1: No, no, he wouldn't. The, the reason that I would put Ronde in this year is there's a signature moment that you can attach Ronde to and remember for the rest of your life. When Ronde shut the vet down. When the last game at vet, at the vet picks off Donovan McNabb, picks six, sends the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. They get a Super Bowl with that dynamic defense. And I think he's, he's almost a little forgotten, Carson. And this is why I think you're undervaluing him. I think with a guy like Warren Sapp in the middle, with Simeon Rice on the edge, with Derrick Brooks in the middle, and John Lynch back there with him, I think you're undervaluing his impact on the field. Forty-seven career interceptions and 47th in career interceptions. I think you are severely undervaluing Rondé Barber.
0: Well, let me tell you one thing. First of all, he wouldn't be the first guy I would have get in from that Tampa defense that is in right now. I would would put John John Lynch Lynch over him. I can respect it. Second of all, here's why Ronde Barber is overrated because he had that book about him and Tiki growing up, and every kid read read it. Every kid read it. So, therefore, uh, your argument has no validity. Also, Ronde Barber,
1: tremendous tackler.
0: Yeah. Non stopper. Good for him. Ready for the guy I have? I don't think you're going to be expecting this at all. Like, I actually don't. Patrick Willis. No. Patrick Willis would be my second guy off after Fanica. Really? You were a Patrick Willis nut. I love Patrick Willis because he was incredible, and anyone that was alive would know. I mean, he played seven healthy seasons, and he was a seven-time Pro Bowler and five-time All-Pro.
1: Open my ears, Carson. Who is it?
0: So this is actually pretty interesting. There are, out of the eligible guys for next year's class, I'm taking four newly eligible guys. So Peyton, Woodson, Megatron, and Jared Allen.
1: You know, Carson, that's a really good pick. Thank Very you. underrated. I'm going to tell you right now, though, he's not getting in.
0: As a first ballot guy, I don't think that he will get in, but I don't have to play the politics of, you know, the the <laughs> cachet that comes with being, did I use that word right? I have no idea. <laughs> with, you know, the, the reputation that comes with being a first ballot Hall of Famer, Because I'm just looking at the guys that have the best resumes, and Jared Allen with 136 career sacks, that's 12th all-time, 171 tackles for loss, that's 3rd all-time, 4 safeties, and I understand that this is kind of a random stat, but he's forced the most safeties of all time, 7 straight 11-plus sack seasons, a 2-time sack leader, a 1-time tackle for loss leader, and I just remember how incredible he was for my entire childhood. There's no error bias there, okay? I think Jared Allen belongs in.
1: I think the first guy off for me is Zach Thomas. I think the second guy off is Jared Allen. Mm. Third guy off, Pat Will. I want to mm. mention briefly, though, a guy who I think has to get in the Hall of Fame at yeah. some point. And that's Ken Anderson. Mm. I think at some point— Really? Yeah. You're a
0: passionate Ken Anderson defender?
1: I am a passionate Ken Anderson defender. I think there's a
0: case to be made. Ken Anderson was an average quarterback with a oh, Rich Gannon oh, season. Oh, oh How man. do you like them apples? Cam, What's the difference? Cam Newton,
1: Rich Gannon? You're going to put my own words back on me? Yeah. Why not? Did, did you read— uh, Everything's an argument, Carson?
0: Yes. Um, I That's mean, a textbook <laughs> for those of you listening. Uh,
1: 197 touchdowns for Kenny Anderson, a four time Pro Bowler, a one time All Pro, and a one time MVP. I get it, Carson. Maybe you can say he had his Rich Gannon season, but he took that team to the Super Bowl as well. 29 touchdowns that year, 10 picks, 3,700 yards. I know it doesn't blow you away, and yes. I can't deny it. It's very Rich Gannon-esque. But it
0: is it is so Rich Gannon.
1: I, I think Kenny Anderson has to get in. For the people who watched him during that time period will chew your ear off about just how great a quarterback he All was. All right,
0: Logan, enough talking. I'm going to give you some numbers, okay? We're going to do a comparison. <laughs> One player has a 123-101 and record, 397 career passing touchdowns. 198 interceptions, versus your boy Ken Anderson, who has 197 touchdowns, 160 interceptions, 91-81 and 81 record. Who, who gets in out of those, dude?
1: Can I guess who the, uh, tell me what era it was.
0: No. Guess. The era matters. Alright, it's a modern guy.
1: Is it uh, Aaron Rodgers?
0: No. It's not Aaron Rodgers. Um, Just say who you think belongs in.
1: Obviously... Obviously not Ken Anders.
0: Okay, so Philip Rivers is Hall of Famer no. <laughs> according to Logan Camden. No. Yes, you just said it. You just said. And by the way, it was obvious. You didn't even question it. Yeah, I just took your lunch, baby, live on air, and everyone heard it. Some other guys that I think deserve a mention. Some great receivers that are going to be eligible again: Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holtz. I just—that's my next tier. I don't think they could quite get in.
1: Carson, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen, it's going to be all over YouTube.
1: That's it. Nerd Sesh is done, man.
0: Nerd Sesh is done, actually. That's all our time here today, but we thank you very much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed. Ivan Carson Brever alongside me was Logan Camden. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com.
1: Live Nation presents Concert Week.
0: And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more...